Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the film that had the most Oscar nominations, but no wins at all. This week we're at the 8th Academy Awards, but before I get into that, who is in, who is here? Who's here? Where are you guys? Ah! I'm Sarah. I don't know who you are, because I don't know if you said what your name is. Oh, I'm Dave. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> I'm Danny. I'm Danny. Danny Vincent. Here to be Danny Vincent. And I am Caleb. Took, took a little bit to get there. So, the film with the most nominations was Mutiny on the Bounty. It had eight nominations, but it won Best Picture. Then, The Lives of a Bengal Lancer, which might I just say is a phenomenal title. I have no idea what it's about other than The Lives of Bengal... Well, it's it's plural, so there are multiple lives of the singular Bengal Lancer. But anyway, it had seven nominations, but it won Best Assistant Director. And then The Informer had six nominations and had the most wins tonight, with four wins. It won Best Director for John Ford, Best Actor for Victor McLaughlin. His name is Mick Laglen, which I feel like is too many L's in weird spots. Uh, and then Best Adaptation and Best Scoring. That is what The Informer won, which leads us to a film that had five nominations and no wins. Which is Michael Curtis's Captain Blood. Sarah, what was Captain Blood nominated for? This is kind of a weird year. This was the last year where write-ins were accepted. Um, So a lot of these are write-ins. But it was nominated for Best Picture and lost to Mutiny on the Bounty. Uh, It was nominated for Best Director as a write-in for Michael Curtis and lost to John Ford. It was nominated for Best Adaptation as a write-in for Casey Robinson and lost to Dudley Nichols for The Informer, who refused the award. Um, really? It was, yes, he did not accept the award. Um, and then Best best Score write-in, uh, which lost to The Informer, and then Best Sound Recording for Nathan Levinson, which lost to Douglas Shearer for uh, Naughty Marietta. Now, I gotta say, before we continue, is uh, Dudley was uh, did eventually accept an Oscar for both documentary feature, she co-wrote a documentary feature, and then he did win an award. He accepted it the following, what year is this? This was 35. I, it looks like he accepted it in 1938, so he waited three years to accept it because he had a thing with the Writers Guild. Mm. Um, now I do have a couple Interesting. Yeah, uh, a dispute That's all I can find is a dispute Now I want to say a few things about these write-in noms Before we really get into it Which is I'm sure the listeners are wondering Well if these are write-in nominations They don't really count as nominations So is there going to be another film down the road you'd cover for this year? Our answer is no Because we're going to count these write-ins as full nominations Because this year a write-in nomination won an award That is a Midsummer Night's Dream Won Best Cinematography on a write-in Furthermore uh, it's just it's just easy. Come on, write-ins. If if they're acknowledged on the Wikipedia page as a write-in nomination, that means they were probably acknowledged within the ceremony itself, and they count as a full nomination, even as a write-in. So all you sticklers, all you snub club fanatics who are who are diehards for the rules, you back off. Leave Danny well, alone. I had also read somewhere. I can't remember where I read this, but I read that Michael Curtis did come in an easy second place in director, even with a write-in. Yes. Nom. Yes. Uh, 
Also, the thing that was interesting is I noticed on the wiki page for the Academy Award for Best Picture is that they announced placings for at least Best Picture this year. And Captain Blood actually came in third uh, behind The Informer, along with Mutiny on the Bounty winning Best Picture. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. It's pretty interesting, I think. Uh, but, yeah, uh, pretty cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of Oscars. They're pretty neat. Just kidding. They suck. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so this ceremony was uh, hosted by Frank Capra, which I want to give some shout out to before we talk about the movie. Yeah. Uh, other interesting Oscar facts are this is the first year that they were called Oscars instead of just Academy Awards. Uh, Meeting on the Bounty is the only film to receive three nominations for Best Actor. I haven't seen it. I don't know. Uh, this is the year of Best Dance Direction, our favorite award. Uh, it lasted three years, including this year. Ooh, ooh. Uh, I already said the write-in thing, and this is the first year we had an no- acting nomination for a color film. That is for Becky Sharp, by which is, uh, a, I don't know, it's a movie. Uh, also, my trivia that I wanted to talk about is that this is where uh, A Star is Born takes place. Yeah. This Oscars. This is uh, uh, the original A Star is Born uh, with Frederick March. Uh, where I want to say that the original name is, I say original, but <laughs> as if like the 2018 movie, like is the definitive, the star is oh, born, gosh. which definitely isn't. Uh, but the original Jackson Maine was just named Norman Maine. I think Jackson is an upgrade. Good job, Bradley Cooper. For definitely a, a douchebag name. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other thing that I want to say. I was about to say, it sounds more Southern, but okay, <laughs> fine. Oh, are you gonna I'll say what I think you're gonna say, Sarah? Probably. I was gonna say who the who the like honorary award. Yes, went to goes along with the southern. Yeah, sorry. A, a celebrated director in everyone's hearts, D.W. Griffith, <laughs> won the honorary award this year. Uh, so, English creative achievements as a director and producer, and his invaluable initiative and lasting contributions to the progress of the motion picture arts. Yeah, progress. progressive, I guess. <laughs> Lasting is certainly one way to talk about his contributions. Possibly the only way to talk about his contributions. <laughs> they have certainly lasted. Should we go into the movie then? Yes, let's go Absolutely. for it. Do we have any historical context? I don't know if we do. I have a little bit, actually. The only thing I was going to bring up is just try to talk a little bit about pirate films and how... They're one of like the core genres to Golden Age Hollywood. Yeah. But the problem is I don't know a lot about pirate films, so I do yeah, like Pirates I mean, of the Caribbean. The only thing that I was really gonna say is that there's definitely a theme happening this year with the Oscars that kind of evolved. Like every studio wanted to make a pirate film. So every studio did make a pirate film. One of them won Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, and like, from what little research I did into it, people consider, like, the first mainstream pirate film to be The Black Pirate from 1926. So we're, you know, a, you know about a decade out from that and probably hitting kind of the peak mm-hmm. of uh, pirate films, swashbuckling films. And this felt, I should also say, this just felt very Robin Hood. And I know that yes. at least some of the people involved in this movie were involved with that one as well. I'm sure we'll talk about that, Yes. I will say that when you say the Black Pirate, when I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, Jaimon Hansu needs to play a pirate at some point. That was one of my takeaways. 
I'm sure he has. He's played everything. Well, I, at this he, point. he probably has, but I googled Pirates of the Caribbean because it definitely felt like he should be in a Pirates of the Caribbean, like as like the heavy, like, to, like you know what I mean, like the second in command bad guy. That definitely feels like something he would have done, and he hasn't been. And I was like, well, anyway, he, he should be a pirate. For him. Yeah, well, but he should be a pirate. He should be. He'd be really cool as a pirate. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, Captain Blood. Captain Blood is, uh, which is not a surname. It's his actual name. <laughs> which my favorite part of the movie i'm just gonna say right now is when the word blood appears on the screen blood, times in blood, a row, blood. and then it cuts to the guy going blood 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 <laughs> which is cooler because it starts out as dr blood and then it it he graduates to captain blood but which and then it ends on governor blood which of which of those three is the coolest captain. i mean it is captain what about blood. Peter Blood. <laughs> Peter Blood. <laughs> Apparently it's an Irish name. I don't know. An Australian man playing an Irish man named Peter Blood. Yeah, apparently he's Irish. I didn't know that till about halfway through the movie. I have a game that I want to play before we get into the movie, which is what what modern actor did this remind Danny of? Oh uh, gosh. I have my own pick, but I, yes. I will so before this i had you give me a number uh you gave me six my thing is i'm going to this person's letterbox page looking at their sixth movie and i'm going to tell you their movie and you have to try to guess the actor from it i think if you've seen the movie if you the thing is if you haven't seen the movie i'm just going to give you number 10 okay all right if we must all right so the number six most popular movie this person is in and this is about errol flynn this is about errol flynn is uh the diary of a teenage girl have you seen it i haven't actually all right then i'm gonna go do number 10 because even if you haven't seen it you'll know the cast of it and that is zoolander 2 uh (laughs) this is this person's sixth movie no no this is their 10th most popular film now if you need to open up zoolander 2 on letterboxd look at the cast you have my permission to this is so complicated long cast Ariana Grande, she's in there. I like. Uh, I like how I call I. I have a, an actor I I in mind. Wilson, right? I had an actor in mind, but I don't know if they're considered a modern actor. I feel like they're more of like a '90s actor. No, my person is a modern actor. So open up the Zoolander two page. He's guessing Owen Wilson. Uh, you gotta guess who in Zoolander two is who this reminded me of. Fine, I'm looking. And once I get your guess locked in. Uh, if never you get it, I will tell you what the seventh uh, most popular film on this person's letterbox page is. Because I said we cannot pick the seventh one because it will give it away. I'm going to say, if if it, the seventh one gives it away, I'm going to say John Malkovich. Nope. All right. It's the seventh film of this person's letterbox page. It's not on Wilson. It's not John Malkovich. It is The Legend of Tarzan. Uh, Errol Flynn in this movie 100% reminded me of Alexander Skarsgård every time I looked at him. Hmm. Oh wow! Well, nothing ever reminds me of Alexander no. Skarsgård. So no, no, no. Now I want my Alexander Skarsgård Errol Flynn biopic, where we reveal his him being a gay icon, which isn't true. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so we got that part of the show out of the way. Can we get a more interesting actor to play him? <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, The Legend of Tarzan, solid flick, best David Yates film I've seen. My actor yeah. that I was thinking, I thought he reminded me of Carrie Elwes. 
Oh, I could see yes, that too. Very much. Yeah. Yes. And they were both Robin Hood, so. I think the movie in general just kind of reminded me of that Tarzan movie, though. Especially when I. Hasn't Errol. Didn't Errol Flynn eventually play Tarzan? No. Maybe. Uh, Almost certainly. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm. If not, then that's a missed opportunity. I think I think that it didn't remind he didn't remind me of a particular actor, but he certainly reminded me of an archetype that I feel like a lot of um, actors fall into. And I have to say, a very entertaining one. I really enjoyed watching him. I think um, he was a he was a really compelling lead. I agree. But what is the archetype? I think it's it's like this reserved uh, kind of. <sighs> reserved swashbuckler who will like jump into the action and stuff like that. But outside he's, he's always going to be kind of suave and just kind of standing back. Nothing's ever really going to get him riled up. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, now shall we talk about the movie? Uh, like what the plot is? Wait, well, while we're talking about Errol Flynn, I feel like I have to, I have to bring something up. So I told my mom what movie we were watching this week. And she was really excited. She loves Captain Blood and she loves Errol Flynn. And she was like, she was telling me, like, it's so funny, like, when you look at actors now and like how hot they are. Like, my example is like Henry Cavill. And she was like, oh, Errol Flynn, you know, he was so handsome and he was so hot. I don't know if I thought he was hot, to be honest with you. <laughs> he did. He just he reminded me of I don't know I could see I, uh, as a straight man I could see him being hot <laughs> like like it's not like my authority yeah. really matters but I he's very like I don't know I, I go back to to me he just reminded me like an Alexander Skarsgård type but a bit more talented and I could see, like I understand the appeal of Alexander Skarsgård like you know he makes sense I'm glad to someone me. does well no like yeah. a, a, attractive like. But he's like a physical, like he's he's cast in things because he is attractive versus older actors were cast because they were good actors. I mean, like Errol Flynn was because he was attractive. That seems seems pretty. I think Errol Flynn was like, like neutrally attractive. I think it probably mainly came down to like what weird period hairstyle they had. him. (laughs) But I feel like his personality like that is very attractive. Yeah, I, I get him. I, I get it. You know what? It, it all makes right, sense. All right. I guess I'm outvoted. Yeah. By the, <laughs> by the straight men. By the two straight, <laughs> the straight men. men are like, He's hot. Yeah. <laughs> I would want to I would want to look like Errol Flynn. I feel like that would help my social life. <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> well, and also, er- Errol Flynn is the inspiration for part of the inspiration for Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler is objectively the hottest superhero, so that might be. Oh, I thought you meant like the. Uh, I, I did too. <laughs> the Jake <laughs> movie, and I was like, Errol Flynn and Nightcrawler. That would be interesting. I'm I'm down for that. Um, Anyways, what's yeah, this movie about? <laughs> uh, it's about a captain named Blood. He's not a captain at first. We've established uh, he's he's a doc. he's a doctor. All right, wait, wait. Can I, can I put my cards on the table first about this movie? Being very blunt about it. All right. Is that my takeaway on it is, is that I was sold, and I think audiences at the time would have been sold on it too, so I think this is a valid complaint of the movie, on a pirate movie. Uh, he does not become a pirate until an hour into it, 
And then when he does become a pirate, we get a montage of him being a pirate, then get about 20 minutes of him being a pirate in plot. And then at the end, he's like, oh, I want to be a hero. I would, I need to redeem myself type of thing. Or like, you know what I mean? It's like a redemption arc, but we never really saw him being a bad pirate. He was always an honorable pirate, which is true. And like, I'm not saying I want to see him be an evil pirate because that's not what the character is. I want to see him actually though pillage and plunder people, right? Because that's what the movie is positing it is, and it's not. It is an hour-long slave movie that becomes a rebellion, kind of, and then they become pirates, and the pirate stuff is glossed over. And in that regard, I was very disappointed with this film. I do think there's craft in it. I think there are moments of it I really enjoy, which I'll talk about when we actually get to it in the recap, but I do want to say... I mean, this is an average movie all around. On Letterboxd, I'm going to give it 2.5 out of 5. And I feel like that's probably controversial because I feel like this is a pretty liked pirate movie. I would say that um, the second half, I like the second half more than you do, and I feel like it has enough swashbuckling. Oh, I think action. the second half is better than the first half. Yeah, but like I feel like it isn't as glossed over. There isn't as much like pillaging, but there's like there's naval action, there's sword fighting. It's It's enough fun for me. And I, I'm a nerd. I like pirate code kind of stuff. I think the bureaucracy of pirates is the most interesting part. I thought that was fascinating, too. It's more I wanted more of the second but half. That first half is very much like the origin that people would have made for like the dark, gritty reboot of Captain Blood, like the uh, Ridley Scott Robin Hood movie. And, you know, I think I could have lived without seeing that. It movie. feels like an origin story movie that no one actually wants to watch. You know, like how, like, uh, I'm trying to think of it. It's an issue of a lot of movies nowadays, like a lot of blockbusters. Like the first movie is building up and the credits, like at the credits roll, it's like, oh yeah, the next movie is what you actually want now that we got the origin out of the way. And I'm not even talking about superhero movies. I'm trying to think of other stuff off the top of my head, but I can't. But it is very much a trope. Like the old guard, I think, did it, even though I've only watched like half the old guard. Um, But anyway, that's what the first half felt like to me. And I think you agree with me. I'm just babbling. Yeah, I, um... I don't know. I thought it was okay. I guess in my overall thought, I thought it was okay. I think that it comes down to maybe an issue in like adaptation because it's like it's based on a book and I feel like kind of like Aerosmith, like there's a lot that was cut out that kind of like Aerosmith was like about a womanizer. Like that was the book. And obviously we didn't get that in the movie. And I feel like the Captain Blood book was probably more about piracy than what they gave us in the movie. I don't know. It's just like pirates are cool, you know? But like, I don't like pirates who at the end decide to become a governor. Come on. Pirates are cool, and they're also, they're very timeless. Like, there are scenes in this movie that look like just black and white versions of Pirates of the Caribbean scenes, and it's like, cool. Like, I think you can do a pirate movie at any point in history, and it'd be... It'd be fun. I also think as in terms of like action, I guess I'm wondering if maybe they just didn't want to put all their eggs in one basket because they have, I think for me at least. And I, I think that other people would probably agree with me. Like the big set piece and the big draw of this movie is the Errol Flynn, um, Basil Rathbone duel. Yes. I was going to wait till we got to the thing, but yeah, by far the best part of the movie to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wondering if maybe they just didn't want to like overdo it. Cause like by the end, I was kind of spacing out a bit because it was just like cannons and explosions. And I feel like having like a very like centralized like 
duel, you know, a two person fight was a lot more interesting than, you know, just the cluster cuss of the ending. Yeah, I I disassociated at the end a bit. I like the ending a lot, and we'll, but we'll get into that when we get yeah. there. But I definitely think, I, w- I would say that the fight is a better choreographed scene. Um, and it definitely is a highlight of the movie. Yeah. But what, Danny, what's this movie about? Cats and Blood. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> that answers everything. Yeah. So, so first he's a doctor. Opens, the movie opens with him as a doctor, and uh, he has to go help this person get better, because that's what doctors do. Fortunately, the person he's helping is a rebel uh, from the Monmouth Rebellion, and he's arrested because you're not supposed to do that. That's treason. And he sends to death, but then the king is like, oh, you know what? what? Why don't we send these people, sell these people into slavery? So he goes and becomes a slave. And then he stays a slave for about an hour when his his bride-to-be eventually, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, the two, the, the, the male and the, the female and the male in this movie, they end up getting together at the end. Who would have thought? Wow. Yeah. Um, I also need to say, hour in runtime, not in... Like, I know. I was like, I was like, is that just like a really good joke? Because he really wasn't a slave for that long. <laughs> well, no, but he was. He was. He was, he a, was a slave, but he, he was like a, he, he was a doctor. He went slave. from he went from manual labor to a doctor. Yeah, and it wasn't a long just time. Say, jumping around a bit, that the guy he was helping was like, "Oh, please stay with me for the night. I'm scared of the gout." <laughs> One of the funniest parts. The governor of Port Port Royal, where he is enslaved, um, is suffering from gout. And so he kind of uses his... And the two doctors who are there are kind of hacks. And so he's like, I can help you out. And he does that to kind of curry favor. Yeah, but he stays... The the movie takes an hour until the pirates pop up. And it's a two hour long movie. Yeah. Uh, and it really, it really feels like it. It, really, it feels long. Um Mainly because of this first hour. For a long time, it wasn't a two-hour movie. It was a 90-minute movie, and then it got restored. Um, I don't remember really? when. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I think it was for home video. It finally got restored. So I would say, like, within the past, like, 20-ish years, it only got a full release. So would this would we have watched a different cut than what was nominated? Um, I would have to check. I'm not sure. Or was it one of these, like, how the Judy Garland star is born, they just lost footage, and then eventually found, well, they found some of the footage. I have to Google that. I, am not, I didn't hear about this anywhere. I think it was on IMDb, so let me check real quick. Oh, but it's like, it turns out it's like an IMDb lie, and it's just like, actually, you know, it's called Captain Blood because they all spat blood on the the, the, the set. I actually wrote it on, I yeah. actually wrote it on IMDb. Like right before we started recording. Errol so. Flynn was ill with malaria <laughs> during filming. Yes. While Sarah looks this up, uh, Blood, um, it kind of sets up two relationships. His relationship with uh, the woman who buys him, who is his love interest, and they kind of have this love-hate relationship where she's like, why don't you like me? And he's like, you're a slave owner. And then uh, with her uncle, who is uh, the colonel and eventually becomes the governor of the island, which kind of turns into the sheriff Nottingham, who just his whole life is based around getting cat and blood. I found it. Okay. As with many other WB re-releases, 
Um, this film was trimmed for its 1947 re-release, losing 20 minutes. For nearly 50 years, the 99-minute version was the only one available. It was finally restored to its original 119-minute length for the home video release. Mm. So this is the original cut that we watched, but when it was re-released in theaters, it was cut down. Very cool. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, my favorite IMDb fact I found was 16 people found this interesting is that Olivia D. Havilland, Arabella Bishop, passed away July 26, 2020, having lived her co- outlived her co-star Errol Flynn by some 60 plus years who died in 1959. Yeah, he died really young. 16 people found that interesting. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm just like, 16 people found this interesting? How? How, how is this that interesting that because they were like dying. a pretty, they were a pretty famous duo. I mean, aside from this, they I'm were. I'm just talking about the wording of the IMDb. Don't dive too deeply into the mind of IMDb users. The only good IMDb trivia is on um, the Doctor Sleep page, and I'll keep leaving at that. Uh, <laughs> back to back to the film. Um, yes, he becomes a doctor. No, like a slave doctor. Slave doctor, because this girl purchases him for ten cents, ten ten pounds, whatever. 10 pieces of eight. I don't remember. Well, it was cheap. She she bit it up and they're like, everyone's like, oh, ha, ha, this girl wants this man so bad. She's paying money for him. Ha, ha, ha. And then, as you said, the governor goes crazy at some point. Uh, anyway, so. Now, now we're, we're caught up. The slave blood, blood's like, well, we're going to leave because this being a slave sucks. Even if I'm a slave, that's a captain. I mean, a, a doctor, doctor slave. Um. So, they're about to escape, but then pirates attack. And let me tell you, this movie is the first movie we've watched that has a lot of text on screen to let us know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And as I said, when we began talking about this, is my favorite part of this is when it goes, blood, blood, blood on the screen. And then we cut to, a, uh, I think it's like the king going, blood, 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 he keeps taking my ships. <laughs> yeah. The, the slaves, so the Spanish... Pirates attack Port Royal, and the slaves who are already planning an escape is like, well, we'll just take their boat, and they do, and um, th- so they they defeat the Spaniards, and then um, Colonel Bishop, who is the slave owner, comes on and is like, oh, I will have you all reduce sentence, and they're like, that's not good enough, and they throw them overboard, and they go out and they become pirates. Um, and then you get that wonderful blood montage, blood. which is just clips of them pirating with blood flashing across screen. <laughs> but wait, don't they make the pirate code first? And the pirate code is nice. Yeah. Yes. Pirate code. I that's my favorite scene in the movie is um and it's it's important to the Basil Rathbone stuff where it's uh Lawrence Olivier kind of comes up with the code for the pirates. And like you Errol said, Flynn. Danny, they're very Yeah, what did I say? <laughs> Lawrence <laughs> Olivier. <laughs> I like where'd that one come from? <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. Anyway, you know which old actor is living rent free in my head now. Um, but like you said, they're honorable pirates, and so they they will loot and they will pillage, but they won't. Um, you know, they they try to avoid nece- unnecessary violence. They won't kidnap women, that sort of thing. I do want to stress before we really get into this stuff is that. This is over halfway through the movie. We we, yeah. we skipped so much stuff talking about this because I is there anything interesting in that first bit besides maybe well, the scene where Errol Flynn kisses her? 
Yeah, that scene was questionable. But um, I thought that the editing was, like, super weird. Because it was, like, there was a scene... Okay, there was a scene where a slave... And these are all white slaves, to be clear. Yes, um, I, I actually <laughs> do think we should clarify that. That this the only the only acknowledgement of and it's not really even acknowledgement of black slaves. It's just oh, you don't want to be sold up to Dixon. Yeah, it's and, very weird how yeah. not, they didn't invite any of the black slaves to come with. But whatever. Yeah, because you do see black slaves like in the background. Yes. And stuff. But anyways. And this is this is still pre-code, right? Because there was a provision in the Hayes Code that was uh, you couldn't show white slavery. I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, let me check when the Hayes Code came in. But keep talking. Yeah. So this uh, this white slave named Jeremy uh, tried to is it Jer- no? It's not Jeremy. Jeremy's leader. But there's a slave. He tries to escape. Um, he gets branded on the face, and. Like, it just, I don't know, the score is very dramatic, and it just feels, like, very heavy, and then they cut to the governor, and he's, like, joking. He's not joking, but it's, like, a joke, and it's, like, a weird visual gag about his gout, and I just felt like the editing was very strange. Like, it was such a whiplash in terms of, like, tone, and I feel like it did that, like, multiple times, where it would have this, like, dramatic moment, and then cut to, like, a joke. I don't know, it just was weird to me. I think that's... it trying to be like trying to show how callous all these uh bureaucrats are yeah i looked up white slavery uh or rather the Hayes code and it says it was uh well it says it was passed in 1927 which we know isn't true it wasn't enforced until uh 1934 which is pre this movie however when you go on the white slavery thing and you hyperlink over it it refers to sexual slavery. Um, so okay. that's what lights. So this, yes, it is white slavery, but it is not what their definition of white slavery. Would and be. as we said, you know, there was a very strong point that, you know, they didn't capture women. They didn't molest women. So, yes. Well, and there is things like like whipping, like branding in here. And I think it's important to point out that you would not have gotten that from a 1930s movie about like actual chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason you can have such empathy for these slaves is because they're, you know, white, good. Well, one of them's Irish. I almost called him English. But <laughs> despite the fact that he never speaks with no, an Irish nobody accent, has an accent. You know, <laughs> uh, Basil Rathbone definitely does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> But that whole half is very, it's very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, then pirates. <laughs> yes. So we should talk about our, our old boy, our Kibby Eggs, Guy Kibby. Isn't he like, he's like the first mate, right? Kinda? He plays like the Gibbs. Yeah, he plays. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it was him until like like halfway through. Gibbs. I was going to say, he's like Mr. Smee and Peter Pan. Like well, like, it's all more. the same thing. It's a short, you know, squat guy. It's all the same he's thing. He's the gunner. <laughs> he, he's in charge of the cannons. So he is like a pretty major role. He's kind of like the voice of reason. There's like a, you know, a, an array of characters. There's one guy who's like, he quotes the Bible. There's one guy who's... Yeah, he was a reverend yes. before he was enslaved. There's one guy who's just an an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah. there's, like, he's my there's a guy who's a reverend. There's a guy who's a doctor. There's this guy who's an idiot. Um, <laughs> 
So a doctor, an idiot, and a reverend walk into a yeah. ship, a pirate ship. <laughs> but yeah. The ensemble, I think, does help this this movie a lot. Yeah. I like the ensemble. And as, I mean, as we've kind of alluded to, there is one other, I guess, major role, um, and that is Basil Rathbone, who plays a Frenchman. We meet in Tortuga, which I recognize really. Tortuga! From the <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this... Those movies are based somewhat in, like, not real life, but, like, in real pirate lore. And I always forget that. I'm like, ah, Tortuga. I know where this is. What a shame that all my knowledge of pirates comes from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. <laughs> I think in this movie, um, besides, like, the king and stuff, who we don't ever see, there's only one character that's, like, an actual real person. And everybody else is, is fictional. Including all the pirates. Sorry, Captain Blood wasn't real. We do see the king, though. I mean, aside, okay, whatever. Aside from we the king. see him! There's another, like, one of the governors is, is real. Oh, okay. You're right. Well, I heard also, I think the judge is real, too. The judge who sentences him is real, I believe. Mm, okay. Yeah, but that's it. Um. But yeah, everyone else in this is a liar, a fake. <laughs> um. But yeah, Basil Rathbone. We yes. introduced to him laying on the bed with Errol Flynn. Well, I don't know if that's... That was kind of like... There's a woman in between them. (laughs) And women. Oh, is there only one? I thought there was actually one for each of them. Uh, No, because they're competing over who she'll spend the night with. Which is a dumb competition, because once Errol Flynn wins, he's like, leave. Yeah, he's he's like, I don't don't want you, so... (laughs) But the, the French pirate wants to team up with him. Not sure why, but they do, and almost immediately... Blood is like, oh, yeah, this, it is really this is quick. a mistake because this guy's sus. Yeah. He has this whole monologue, and the guy is just like standing off camera. He doesn't leave the room or anything. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's also like, again, like in movie time, Basil Rathbone, I believe, is like fourth build in this. He's in it for maybe f- four minutes, five minutes the most. Like, yeah. It's very, I, mean, I, I know he's a big deal, but it's also like, I'm surprised this character. Got yeah. this actor, and at this time got the billing it did for a camera. Wow. Some fun fact for you is that um, this movie sparked Basil Rathbone's uh, love for fencing. So he became a professional, semi-professional fencer because in all of his movies, he would always play the villain, so he would lose. But in real life, he was winning. <laughs> Wait, he's always the villain? I mean, he was pretty much... He was typecast as a villain a lot. That He does look like a villain. But that makes me really happy, because he looked like he was having fun yeah. in the sword fight. Okay, good. I'm not confused. No, no. Here's why I'm saying is, like, he wasn't always a villain. He was Sherlock Holmes. Uh, but yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. That's why I was confused. I was like... Well, like, in Robin, Hood about, and, right? <laughs> in Robin Hood and stuff, you know, he was he was the villain. Yeah, it makes sense. He's European. That's how, yes. that's how it goes in Hollywood. You're, you're European. You're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, yeah, the French guy, Basil Rathbone, sucks. Um, he ends up taking uh, a couple prisoners. Uh, this this government guy named Willoughby. And then well, none other... Reminded me of the character in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Who's uh, the, mother, the father, of, uh, father of Elizabeth. Here's the thing. He reminded me of... Actually, almost everybody in this movie reminded me of Bill Nye. And I don't know why. <laughs> but he reminded me of Bill Nye. Um, so semi-related. 
Um, and also the other prisoner is... Remind me of Archibald Asparagus <laughs> from the VeggieTales. The other prisoner is hey, Arabella. Hey, Jonah! Hey, Jonah! Oh Come my away. god, please! <laughs> oh wait, that is relevant! No! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, Arabella is, Ar- is Arabella, Olivia de Havilland. Um, and they have kind of a will-they-won't-they they thing... Because he's he pretends that she doesn't that he doesn't know her. She pretends that he that she doesn't know him. Um, but they're attracted to each other, and then there's a duel to see who gets to keep her. Basil Rathbone loses, but he wins because he loves fencing. The cat the the Frenchman lost, but Basil yes. Rathbone he won. Corio is so good. I wish I was Basil Rathbone watching this choreo. I was like, dang, son, you could do a pirate thing. Good for you. Fencing is just such an entertaining like, type of swordplay to watch. Um, because it's like it seems when they have the rapiers that's like all about being quick and stuff. But a lot of it is actually strength-based. I, I'm kind of nerding out about the fight choreography right it here. It is good but fight like so much of it. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's an integral part of the movie, I think. I mean, I mean that's I like more the, of it. the big draw. Yeah, but I think they kind of... I mean, they knew what their assets were, and they knew that they were going to use Basil Rathbone in this way. So, props to them. And I love the scene when he dies, because he, like, falls into the... Very dramatically falls yes. into the water. And then, like, it, the the shot lasts, like, a second too long, and you see him blink. Wait, that reminded me... That reminded me of another shot that I never brought up. Okay, so when they steal the Spaniard ship at the, at the beginning, or, like, 30 minutes in, whatever, and they go on... What should be the beginning. Yes, and, they, and the governor goes on the ship to see, like, who claimed it for the British, and they're all smiling at him. And it lasts way too long. It's so awkward. <laughs> that was all I need to say. <laughs> I think this movie is awkward. I'm just saying. So they they sail back with uh, with Olivia to handle and, and Archibald the Asparagus. And they're going to drop them off at Port Royal. First, first, they have a weird scene where he goes... Well, consider yourself bought by me. Yeah, their dynamic is yeah. a little off, for sure. Maybe it's because they're making a movie about slavery in 1935, with only white people in it. Maybe that's why. Not that I wanted really black people in this movie to be, like, slaves that were branded, but you know what I mean. It was weird. Weird movie. It's just like, I guess it's the, like, if this was remade today, like... It wouldn't just be white people. I think that's why it feels so weird. Well, and there were a ton of black pirates. You make this movie John David Washington as Captain Blood. If you say so. The gov or the the government guy, he's like, yo, by the way, there's a different king. Well, first he's like, the king wants y'all to be in his navy, and they're like, We hate the king. And he's like, But there's a different king. And they're like, Oh, we like this one for some reason. He's not the bad one, so he's gotta be good. That's how Yeah, they don't know anything about him. <laughs> Like, well, it's not the old one. Yeah, I mean, historically, I think he was a better king than. Sure, but why would the they know that? Was around, why would they know that? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I think they just liked him because he was an immigrant. I think that was what they had set up. Uh, Hamilton foreshadowing. 
you get they get to Port Royal and they see that the French are attacking and they're like, well, we like the king now, so we're going to go in and we're going to do some piratey action and fight these. And they sink one ship and it goes down really easy, but then the other ship uh, guns them down and so they have to swing across and take that one over. And they, they're able to capture Port Royal. Um, and the big plot point here is that Port Royal should have been being protected, but um, the the slave owner... Was who's now the governor was so obsessed with catching Captain Blood that he you, he like sent out the navy to find them, and so he gets his governorship revoked, and good old good old Peter Blood is put in charge. This is the only really great part of the movie to me is the ending. <laughs> I know the ending was kind of cute, wasn't it? It was a little like tongue in cheek thing. <laughs> yeah, because he he walks in and uh, Arabella is like going ham at like. Oh, I'm trying to beg for mercy from you. And then, like, Captain Blood turns around and he's like, Hey there, buddy. <laughs> and then it goes the end. Ah, oh, good ending. Solid ending. I will say, I really liked the naval battle at the end. It was super chaotic. Um, but I felt the effects were very impressive. And, like... Naval combat's so frightening to me because if you get a hole in your ship, even if you're gonna win the battle, you're kind of screwed. So I kind of like the chaos and how they how they were able to keep the stakes high, no matter what. I don't know. To me, the chaos made me lose the stakes in it. Kind of why I was like, whatever. Something that I read about this is that they didn't have a complete ship at any point in this movie, so they were only on sets. Um, and it's kind of so no split that- points. Um, yeah, but all the action scenes were miniatures. So pretty, uh, pretty cool techniques for the time. And I'd say, and I'd say pretty good miniatures. The only time it looks kind of, kind of wonky is when they're bombing the city and you can kind of tell some of those buildings aren't, aren't blowing up in the way buildings would blow up, but it's pretty cool. It's good ish. Like it's fine. Yeah. I would rank it, you know. On the higher end of the spectrum of movies sure, that we've sure. watched. Um, it's definitely better than last week's movie. Uh, but everything has been so far. That's damning with faint praise. This cost over a million dollars. It's pretty expensive. Yeah, well, okay, well, that's another thing, is that it would have a big budget for the time. And Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland were nobodies. Um, so it was considered a huge risk with Warner Brothers, or for Warner Brothers, and then obviously, they became huge stars. They started a bunch of movies together. Got some Oscar noms. Yeah. The second half of this movie, and I have to emphasize, it is the second half, is my favorite thing we've watched for this. I was consistently entertained. And that first half didn't drag for me. The The length was not the problem. It was the content that was the problem. Um, it was just uncomfortable to watch knowing... You know, knowing that the real stuff that went on with chattel slavery, but also just narratively, it sets up a couple of relationships, but I think it wastes time setting those up. Um, and we could have gotten more cool pirate stuff. Yeah, pirates are cool. Slavery isn't. That's your basic takeaway from this episode is what a hot pirates, take. Yes. Slavery. No. Um, all right. Now, before we talk about anything, we got to give the one. I want to point this out that there's a full subheading on Wikipedia on this movie that's for cultural references. And the only thing there is, a clip of this film was used in the 1985 film, The Goonies. 
So oh. now you guys know. This was in the Goonies. I do like the Goonies. I was thinking, I like, because I'm going to go back to Nightcrawler once again, the superhero. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Uh, Nightcrawler, yeah, Nightcrawler canonically is a fan of uh, old pirate movies. And so I like to. I liked to play a game with myself with this movie. It's like, which scene would he watch if, like, in an X-Men movie, it cut to him watching an Errol Flynn movie? And I think it would be the scene when they're uh, re, uh, re-pledging their loyalty to the new king. That seems like a very Nightcrawler. And I could see him, like, teleporting up onto the couch and, like, quoting it. Ah. I can see that. Sure. We'll, we'll go with that. No, you know Nightcrawler more than I do. Um, all right. Let's go into our, our end of show thing. Uh, Sarah, give us those nominations again. I want to go first because I think I, my my two answers I, I'm very confident on, and no one can change my mind on either of them already. So okay, we're not gonna try. Um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, now now it's a challenge. Now I have to. So it was nominated for best picture, best director, best adaptation, best score, and best sound recording. All right. My choice is something we did not talk about at all, but I think the score here is really good. It's a we really talked about it a little bit. A little bit, but not a lot. It's the my main takeaway that this was a great, really great thing to me was the score here. Um, it's very rousing. It feels kind of ahead of its time. I was reading about it on the Wikipedia page. There's an entire section about it that's arguably longer than anything else in the Wikipedia page. Um... It's really good. I think it's a, I think it's a really fantastic score. I was impressed by it. It's the, it's the first score we've listened to that sounds like a full cinematic score. Everything else has either been just like music that's in like one section of the movie and nowhere else, or it's the, uh, or it's the Romeo and Juliet suite like Sarah <laughs> talked about yeah. last week. Yeah. Um. So yeah, easily picking best score for this to win. Well, what would I choose? Um, this one's kind of hard for me because I don't like I enjoyed it, but I, I, you know, it's hard for me to like, I don't want to like agree with you necessarily just because just <laughs> I, for, the, I said, for the content. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I guess if I had to choose, I would also choose score. Um, again, it's not that I think that it's like I well, I guess we'll talk about it. I think that it should have been nominated for other things. So that's what's making it difficult for me. Um, but yeah, I like the score. I think that it's like it's neat. Like the guy didn't want to like do the score. And then he watched footage of it and was inspired. And that is like a really cool thing to me. So yeah. Yeah. And he apparently composed the entire score in three weeks, which is pretty cool too. He's also very like very humble because he said he only wanted to be credited as like the arranger even though he it was like he did 90 percent of the original score and only 10 percent is like you know, pre-existing so what I, oh, my, my joke i want to make is that it took him a uh oh three weeks to compose a score for this and if i remember right uh michael Giacchino got signed on for rogue one with like a m- month and a half before and I just want to go because <laughs> I think that score is really bad. That's all. My my dumb Rogue One dig for the day. I'm gonna break from the pack here a little bit, and I'm gonna go with a award that I don't usually like, 
Um, so it's just it's going to come with some caveats. I'm going to give this uh, best adapted screenplay. Now, I usually don't like talking about the screenplay nominations outside of the podcast too. Because I know, yeah, yeah, we've talked about people yeah. don't actually read the screenplays. Um, they they just judge it off of like their perception of what the screenplays are. However, I'm giving to it to this for one reason, and that's I really like the dialogue in this. Um, from the beginning, like his court scene to it's a good, yeah, um, that's a good scene. even like his yeah, even like his bantering um, with Arabella, and then all of the pirate stuff was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty solid stuff. Um, so Caleb, since you ended, now you get to begin. What would you add a nomination on? I'm torn between cinematography and set direction or set design, whatever it's officially called. I'm probably going to lean on to cinematography um, because I felt like, mm, but those boats were really cool though. It's art direction. No, I'm going to give it, it's not set give direction. It. It's art direction. Just so you yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Art direction. Yeah. You couldn't remember. So I was like, um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to give it to cinematography because I just, I went back to the, uh, the action scenes in this movie. And while a big part of that is that they're on really cool sets, um, I think a bigger part of that is it captures the cinematography really well, um, especially compared to last week's, which Sword Fight was a camera very far back, just going in a circle. Yep. Well, okay. And uh, Sarah, what about you? I could give it to like three different things. I'm going to go with my gut here. Um, I'm going to say supporting actor for Basil Rathbone. I just, he was very memorable for such a small role um he like apparently hated playing a frenchman so i appreciate that um i don't know i just think that he played like a good like secondary villain and i think villains need more love um and it's like i don't know like a villain is like a very supporting actor award you know yeah role so that would be my pick Nice. I'm glad. I like your guys' picks because they're both not mine, but I also think they're both good picks. Uh, mine is Errol Flynn. Uh, I think the movie really only works because of him. Uh, when it does, he's very charismatic. And, you know, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast before. I'm a very big fan. And, of course, it isn't an issue now, like where we're talking about now in, like, the 1930s. But nowadays, there's a huge issue where, like, what I call movie star performances never really get nominated at the Oscars. Uh, and I think there's a lot of really good ones. My my big Oscar hot take of the last 10 years, one of my big ones, is that Matt Damon should have won for The Martian uh, because it's a really good performance that is very distinctly Matt Damon. And those awards, those don't win Oscars anymore. And watching this, I'm like, this is why these awards exist. This movie works on his charisma. When he needs to act, he nails it. It's just a really good performance. Uh, so I, I would nominate Errol Flynn. Yeah, he's definitely very entertaining. Would you say he's the best lead we've had so far? Uh, performances in general? Uh, no. <laughs> Mainly. No. Okay. Uh, is it is it Powell? Is he the one no. who's knocking out? Or is I it... think I think I think Sarah knows who it is. Who is it, Sarah? Tell me. Who he... Is it Coleman? Yes, it's definitely Coleman. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say Coleman's also really. Good. I I think Powell for me. I think he was I, like the. Best. I also like Chevrolet. Chevrolet, or you know what I mean. Chevalier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think he's very good too. Uh, I do like Powell as well. Um, but yeah, 
do we have anything else to say or shall we move on to announcing next week? Because he did give me actually a pretty good seg. If you want me to Let's just go move for it, take then. that seg. So next week we'll be going to the Knife Oscars. We'll be watching a movie starring William Powell. Um, and not only is William Powell returning, so is Gregory LaCava with My Man God 3, which is the first film on this podcast I've actually seen prior to us recording this podcast. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen My Man God 3, and I'm ready to revisit it. Um, it had, I believe, six nominations and no wins. Uh, and, you know, before we talk about this movie and like how we're, what our thoughts on in front of it or whatever we do, you know, I do want to say about Michael Curtis, we never mentioned it, but he will be back. Uh, this is not his last appearance in our podcast. So he's also he also directed a very, very, very famous movie that did win an Oscar. Well, we could talk about that next week <laughs> or the next time we get to it, next time we get around to him. You know what I mean? Like, we'll talk about him again. But yeah, so My Man Gottfried, uh, have, have you seen it? Nope. No. Yeah, well, get ready for it. I <laughs> I don't want to tip my hand too much. Cause it, well, you know what? I will. Cause it, it could change. Because I watched this in like, my back in Carbondale like, at 9 p.m. at night. So hopefully when I watch it this time, we'll be more into it. I was not a fan when I saw it the first time. So we'll see if I like it more on a rewatch. Yeah, I'm Danny Vincent. You can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. You can also listen to my other podcast, Wise with Titan Dinner, which is about the MCU. We will be wrapping up Loki soon, talking about Black Widow soon, and we just put up a podcast that is not about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where I talk about how I flew out to Los Angeles just to see Luca, the new Pixar movie, Uh, and I'm really proud of that episode. It's longer than our Loki recap of the past week, so I kind of like that, that I got to talk that much about Luca. Uh, So if you want to check that out, definitely do it. I'm Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, you can find me at The Myth King on Letterboxd, and from there you can find all my other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, uh, All New 52, and Star Wars Therapy. Um, and thanks to our editor, Joe, who edited this. He's also on the All New 52, and you can go check us out. We should be coming up on our 25th episode soon, which is, uh, we're looking at my favorite superhero, Zatanna, for that one. Uh, and I'm Sarah. You can find me on Letterboxd, uh, just my name, Sarah Kanoff. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram uh, at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-E-K-A-Y 29. And we're also on social media. Uh, on Twitter, we are Snub Club Pod. Uh, on Facebook, we are just the Snub Club. And then on Instagram, we are Snub Club Podcast. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.